Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. And God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding, his church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life, it's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious, think well, advance good. This is Q. What are the benefits and what are the risks? Isn't that what we're always asking? Yeah. First of all, I, I don't think it's correct to say children have zero risk. Hundreds of kids have died of COVID-19. You don't hear about that much because it is rare. This thing that I talked about, these long-term consequences of mild illness with COVID, so-called long COVID, kids get that too. We're only beginning to appreciate how often that happens to children. Welcome to this week's Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. I'm Paul Perot with Gabe, and hopefully as we continue through the summer, you're both enjoying more freedom and are more relaxed as most of the COVID restrictions are gone and much has opened up. But after a year of the pandemic, what have we learned? Are we prepared to handle another pandemic? Well, this and next week, we want to bring you a special two-part Q Ideas as we listen to portions of talks from this past spring's Culture Summit, the annual Q Conference, where Gabe gathered quite a group of speakers and thought leaders to discuss a whole variety of issues. And remember, you can still get the digital pass to watch all of the talks at qideas.org. We heard Gabe's introductory talk from the Culture Summit a couple of weeks ago. Now, among the issues, Gabe, you spent a lot of time on stage with four different experts around the issue of the pandemic and we'll hear parts of two of those talks today tell us who we're going to hear from on this week's q ideas what we wanted to do was talk to expert scientists we wanted to talk to people like dr francis collins who's the head of the national institutes of health holds the highest position in our government responding to this dr anthony fauci works for him and so we wanted to talk to him at the top to just understand how do we move forward? How do we talk about vaccine hesitancy, something that's been a big issue and something that needs to be discussed? And there are big questions that we wanted to ask him and hear his responses. We also had Dr. Martin Koldorf, who's an epidemiologist at Harvard. He's responsible for the Great Barrington Declaration, something that over the last year laid out a different policy approach to protect the most vulnerable but not lock down entire societies. So it creates a bit of debate to hear these different doctors what their perspectives are on how we should respond. And of course, we talked about vaccines with both of them. And did we during the Culture Summit? Again today, we'll hear portions of their conversations with you. We'll start off with your talk with Francis Collins. Real quickly, these talks you'll hear today are also available in their entirety to all Q Media subscribers at QIdeas.org. If you're not one yet, you can request a free 30-day subscription. Now let's listen to a portion of Gabe's conversation from the Culture Summit with NIH Director Francis Collins. As Christians, we want to better understand this. We want to think well. We aren't anti-intellectual. We're quite intellectual. And so I'm so excited to have with us today Dr. Francis Collins. Dr. Francis Collins is the director of the National Institutes of Health in 2009. In this role, Dr. Collins oversees the work of the largest supporter of biomedical research in the world. He's a physician geneticist noted for his landmark discoveries of disease genes and his leadership of the Human Genome Project. 
Aside from being a physician and a scientist, he's also an evangelical Christian who has publicly encouraged Christians to get a COVID vaccine. And so I'm so grateful, Dr. Collins, that you would join us today for this conversation because we want to talk to the best. We want to talk to uh, the man who's been in charge and, and leading in this effort over this last year. Uh, and there's no question, as we engage this conversation, one of the big elephants in the room, and I would say elephants in the world, is this vaccine. And it's this question of 45%, we see the data, 45% of white evangelicals are vaccine hesitant. And what we want to do is talk about that today and give you the opportunity to respond to that, give us an opportunity to hear from you, your responses to some of the reasons people are hesitant. And so thank you for being with us. A CBS poll showed us this, 58% said that's still too untested, they want to wait and see. 47% said they're worried about side effects. 37% said they don't trust the government. 28% don't trust the people who make it. And so let's jump right in. First, could you explain to us why taking this shot is necessary, especially uh, when it, as a disease, 99.5% is the median of the harm that it seems to do. So why is it necessary for everybody to take the vaccine? Well, Gabe, thanks for the chance to have this conversation with you. I'm really honored to be part of Q this year, and I've been with you once before, but it's been quite a while and I'm glad we're having this conversation because there's a lot at stake. More than 560,000 people have died in the United States alone uh, from COVID-19. So while it is true that many people do get through this, uh, and perhaps your 99.5% makes people think, well, it's not such a big deal for the, all those families who've lost loved ones, and there have been many, many of them, uh, 560,000 plus, this is a very serious threat uh, to human survival. And it's even a little more significant for younger people than we once thought. The new variants that are now appearing, like this B117, does have a more contagious and a more lethal aspect to it. And if you look to see who's now getting hospitalized with COVID-19, it's fewer of the people over 65 because they've gotten vaccinated. Now it's younger people, and some of them are in the ICU and some of them are dying. On top of that, we are learning that COVID-19 also can have a long tail of consequences that we didn't expect. Most respiratory viruses, if you get through it a couple weeks, you're kind of back to where you were. Maybe a third of people with COVID-19, including young people who had mild illnesses, aren't getting better. They're still fatigued. They're short of breath. They have headaches. They have this brain fog that makes it hard to really get your mind working the way you want it to. We don't understand that yet. And in some instances, that seems to be quite prolonged over months. So there are all kinds of reasons to avoid letting this virus have its way with us. Yeah. And the vaccine is the best strategy we've got right now to end the virus's success. And it's been very successful so far. Well, I think part of the hesitancy on some people's behalf is the idea that they've already had COVID. They've already developed T-cell immunity. There's plenty of people who've written about the fact that if you've already had COVID, that should last for 10 years. I think the SARS study showed that it could last up to 17 years. And so they're wondering why would they need to get a vaccine if they've actually already had the disease? Well, again, the data is what we ought to be looking at. And it does look as if you can get COVID-19 again. If you look in Denmark, where we have long experience because they had a pretty bad outbreak a year ago, 
Uh, people who had it was clearly documented that they had it are getting infected again. We've seen that also in South Africa. It turns out the vaccine provides better protection than the natural infection. And that sounds surprising to people. But if you think about it, the natural infection, it's in your nose, in your respiratory tract. Your immune system sees it, but it doesn't really see it the way it does, as if you've had the vaccine injected into muscle cells and your whole body gets put on alert. So if you really want the better protection, the vaccine is the way to go, which is why people have had COVID-19, like the former president of the United States, are still recommended to get vaccination, which he did. Yeah, so one of the challenges we saw in that research is there's just simply this distrust in government right now. I think that's probably been around for a while, but there's this distrust in government. There's a distrust in the pharmaceutical makers. You know, and one of the facts is the pharmaceutical companies have zero liability. So no matter what happens from these vaccines, the side effects, if there's deaths, anything that takes place, nobody has the right to go back and sue them. So I think that's part of what creates distrust. Um, Then there's the stories that Moderna and NIH, the institution you run, owns, you know, you own half the patent, NIH does, to that. So it starts to raise these questions of, is the government looking out for my best interest? Are pharmaceutical companies looking out for my best interest when I actually have no right to go back if I actually have a problem? How would you reassure Americans who are concerned about that? Well, I would just ask people to look at the evidence. I mean, isn't that really how we make decisions? And as Christians, aren't we particularly called to assess what's the truth of the matter and get beyond a lot of the things that are out there on the internet that may or may not be based on truth? We have never had vaccines scrutinized with such transparent care as these. We've never had vaccines tested in at least 30,000 people before they were considered approvable by the FDA. All of the data on those trials is up there for everybody to look at. You can look at it today. It was discussed in a public meeting. It's judged by scientists who are not hired by the government or the companies who are just basically there to look at the evidence. And out of this comes the conclusion that the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccine are 95% effective and have a remarkably good safety record. And, you know, people are now walking around who were part of those trials. They're nine months out from immunization. And there is no evidence of any late side effect either. So, yeah, I get it. If you want to look for reasons that anything you put in front of you might have some sort of background that makes it not quite sound right. You can find those, but look at the data for what this is. You know, I'm a Christian. I think God gives us the opportunity through science to figure out ways to avoid healing and avoid suffering and avoid death. And the vaccines that have come forward seem to me like an answer to prayer. And we ought to embrace that idea as well, that we've been given a chance here to avoid a much worse outcome. It's been bad enough already. Do we really want this to go on and on and on because we're resistant to what God has provided as a gift? Are we like the guy who is drowning uh, or about to drown on his roof and somebody came by to rescue him and he said, no, God will take care of me. And he died anyway. And he went to St. Peter and said, I expected God to come and save me. And St. Peter said, yeah, God sent that guy to rescue you and you turned him down. We have this opportunity now to take advantage of a wonderful gift from science, which I believe is a gift from God. Why are we as Christians being so particularly resistant to the opportunity when it's a love your neighbor moment? Well, I think I think 
probably part of the hesitancy has just been that this lack of trust exists. I mean, that's likely why the CDC and others have gone to churches to try to convince their communities of something the public health community hasn't been able to convince them of. And so it's created this tension and it's made them question because they are looking at the science. They're not as concerned about getting sick. They're seeing the data and they're seeing that the data hasn't played out the way this originally looked like it would take 3% of lives. They're, they're starting to see how it's worked out and we've had a whole year to look at that. So I, I think that's part of it. When you describe the, the miracle that's been given, I think you're referring to mRNA, which is part of this new technology that's been advanced, which is why all this has been able to happen so fast. Could you describe for people what, what is mRNA technology so that they can better understand it? Sure, Dave. And people, I think, are also worried this happened so fast and maybe mRNA just got invented as a vaccine uh, last uh, January 2020. It was 25 years of research uh, to understand how this might be a more efficient and rapid way to build a vaccine. So a little bit of molecular biology 101, uh, the way in which proteins get made is there's a DNA that codes for it, and then there's messenger RNA that carries that information to a part of the cell uh, called the ribosome, and then it gets translated into protein. So what we are trying to do here in terms of immunization is to make the immune system recognize this virus without having to get infected. These spike proteins are the things the immune system needs to see. So instead of injecting the spike protein, which you could do, Novavax has a vaccine like that that's under review right now, how about you inject the messenger RNA that codes for that, and then you ask the muscle cells, which know what to do with messenger RNA, to make the protein for you. Turns out you can make that more quickly than doing the protein prep, which is months and months of work. And in fact, it works incredibly well. And the safety issues, which I guess everybody should think about because it's a new approach, have turned out in now millions and millions of people uh, to be actually extremely reassuring. There's nothing about this that seems to create a surprise. So it's if you if you want to make a vaccine in a hurry, and remember, remember all those people who started dying a year ago? The idea that we would want to be uh, going on a slow boat uh, when there is this terrible virus that's causing death and destruction, you wouldn't want to do that. You want to do it as quickly as you can. And answer to prayer, uh, this particular approach did produce in less than a year vaccines that are safe and effective. That's never been done before in less than about five years. And shouldn't we be celebrating that? <laughs> I know people worry that means you cut corners. Believe me, as the NIH director the only corners we cut were getting the bureaucratic steps out of the way that normally slow the process down. There was no corners cut about safety or efficacy. Yeah. Well, final question. Um, it looks like children, teens, and young adults, there's been more messaging towards children should be getting vaccinated, that potentially going back to school in the fall, this should become part of the vaccine schedule. Um, is this something that you believe should be mandated? Is, is there... Parents that are looking at this realizing children have virtually zero risk from this disease. Why would we want our children to take, again, a vaccine that's under emergency authorization approval that's not been FDA approved yet? Why would we want to give that to our children and our teens? Well, it's a, the right question. What are the benefits and what are the risks? Isn't that what we're always asking? Yeah. First of all, I, I don't think it's correct to say children have zero risk. Hundreds of kids have died of COVID-19. You don't hear about that much because it is rare. 
This thing that I talked about, these long-term consequences of mild illness with COVID, so-called long COVID, kids get that too. We're only beginning to appreciate how often that happens to children who send school performance plummets because they've got this brain fog. This is not a benign illness in the longer term or the short term, even for kids. Now recognize at the moment, the vaccines are not approved for kids under 16. There's a trial that has been done for kids down to age 12. FDA is looking at that data right now, again to say, in a very well-designed trial, was it safe? Was it effective? Were there any surprises as far as side effects? We'll have to see what happens. Trials on younger kids are underway, but we don't know the results. So watch the data to see. But let nobody say that this is a disease that children have no risk from. That's simply not the case. The risk is lower than adults, but if it's your kid, and they get COVID-19 and that could have been prevented by a vaccine, that's a tragedy. So please, Christians, you are people of truth. I know that. And I believe that when the answers are needed, you figure out how to go and seek that truth prayerfully, asking God to open all of our eyes to this. And I do think this is a moment for Christians to lead and for Christians to be seen as the most resistant group I think that also doesn't speak well for people who are wondering about whether they should trust the church. If the church is actually standing up in a way that sounds like it's denying the truth from science, is that what young people really want to join up to? So think about those consequences. I, I know I'm speaking bluntly here, but that's what Q is all about. If we are followers of Jesus, we have to be followers who are unafraid to speak the truth and to find the truth and not to be misled by other kinds of comments or conspiracies that simply don't represent what God has called us to in terms of seeking out the real answers. This is Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. And again this week, we're highlighting two of the four talks from this past spring's Culture Summit around the issue of the pandemic. After a year, what do we know or what do we think we know? And we just heard Gabe's conversation with Francis Collins of the National Institutes of Health offering his perspective on what we've learned over the pandemic. But not everyone has agreed with what should have been done over the last year with the widespread lockdowns. And we're not just talking about some disgruntled people on Twitter. We're talking about people who have studied epidemiology and social issues. In fact, as you heard Gabe introduce him earlier, one expert he talked with at the Culture Summit who disagreed with the lockdowns was Dr. Martin Kaldorf of Harvard. He was part of a large group of scientists who publicly came forward opposing the lockdowns. We'll let Gabe pick up the conversation from here. I want to bring in to the conversation now another doctor, Harvard scientist and epidemiologist, Dr. Martin Koldorf, world-renowned for his epidemiology and understanding of diseases and viruses and how they spread. Um, his expertise is in detecting and monitoring infectious disease outbreaks and vaccine safety evaluations. He's part of the COVID-19 vaccine safety technical subgroup, the organization that the CDC, NIH, and FDA rely on for oversight on the safety of vaccines. In October of 2020, he came alongside a Stanford scientist as well as an Oxford scientist, and they created something called the Great Barrington Declaration. It was a different approach that said, for the sake of public health, lockdowns are not the way to go. We need to have a different approach, a different strategy, where we protect the vulnerable. And so we're gonna welcome in Dr. Martin Koldorf to join us. Thank you for being with us, Dr. Koldorf. Uh, thank you very much for having me, it's a great pleasure. 
So you and 14,000 other medical public health scientists have had a very different approach to this pandemic. And in fact, your Great Barrington Declaration that you launched last summer, people could sign it and it, and it became one of much momentum where uh, 42,000 medical practitioners have signed your approach. But you had a different approach. You said, we don't think lockdowns and mass vaccination is the way to go. We think there's a different approach called focused protection. Could you describe for us that approach? So the key thing with COVID is that while anybody can get infected, uh, there's an enormous difference in the risk of mortality of death between the uh, youngest and the oldest. So uh, the older people have more than a thousandfold higher risk of dying uh, than young people. And that's something we have to utilize as the public, as we, we design a public health strategy. So uh, one of the principles about public health is that you can't look only at one single disease like COVID. You have to look at uh, diseases in general and health in general, both physical and mental health. So it's very important that uh, to protect the older. And I think it's clear now that these lockdowns that were general through the whole population, they haven't protected older people. We have had, as uh, Dr. Collins said, uh, uh, over half a million deaths yes, in the United States, which is very tragic. And the problem was that the naive belief that lockdowns would work to protect older people, uh, which was not correct, that meant that uh, more focused protection measures were never implemented yeah. uh, for nursing homes, for multi-generational homes, for older people still in the workforce, and so on. Yeah. Uh, and that's what has led to so many deaths. At the same time, the lockdowns have created a lot of collateral public health da damage. Uh, children not going to school is not only bad for their education, but also for public and mental health. Your background is epidemiology, so you understand the spread of disease. You also are a part of this COVID-19 uh, vaccine evaluation uh, process. But talk to us about just basic epidemiology. If somebody has already had COVID, do they need to get vaccinated? So we have more evidence for, for the protection and, and immunity after natural infection than after a vaccine. So what we have to do is we have to prioritize vaccinating those that uh, uh, have not been sick. And uh, if you have had COVID, you don't need the vaccine now. Maybe five years from now, 10 years from now, we don't know, but uh, currently no. So we are hearing, too, that both Pfizer and Moderna are going to require a third booster shot. So this was new information for some people over the last few weeks that this could become part of a cycle. Is that something from a vaccine? As you've looked at vaccine safety, why would there need to continually be boosters? It seems more like a flu shot. Well, if the immunity from vaccines uh, wanes over time, so we know that it was 95% uh, shortly after vaccines, but if, it, if that goes down over time, then maybe there's a need for a booster shot. But I don't think we know that for certain yet. Um, what about the variants? That's another part from an epidemiologist's perspective. We're hearing a lot about new variants. Dr. Collins was sharing about a new variant in Michigan. If somebody's had COVID, um, would that already cover them for those variants or would vaccines be necessary? Do vaccines cover people for the variants? Uh, so, so far, it looks like both the natural immunity from disease as well as the vaccines are covering variants also. But, of course, we don't know what future variants we might see, but so far it looks fine. So herd immunity seems to be the goal, right? That the majority of the population has herd immunity. And it seems like for the first time, you know, we're trying to track herd immunity on the basis of vaccines, but not on the basis of somebody having 
already had COVID. Is that your take on it? Do you think it's necessary that the whole population get vaccinated? So herd immunity uh, is, is something that's going to happen no matter what. And that's uh, how it's going to end the pandemic. And that's a combination of currently most of the immunity comes from natural infections and it's being helped by, uh, by vaccines. Uh, but that's what's uh, going to end this pandemic. You recently wrote a piece on that one of the greatest casualties of the last year and of lockdowns would be trust in science. What did you mean by that? Well, I think that the way we have approached this pandemic with uh, ineffective lockdowns that has created a lot of collateral public health damage means that this is the biggest public health fiasco in history. And it's very natural that a lot of people are uh, skeptical and uh, don't have the trust uh, in the politicians and the public health officials who uh, have uh, sent uh, bad messages and created this situation for us. So it's very natural that that skepticism exists. And it's going to take many years to rebuild that trust in science and public health, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we've been told that there's a scientific consensus around so many of these policies, the way we should move forward, the way we should interact, what the next step is, what we should we wear masks, double mask, stay six feet apart, three feet apart. So this whole last year has created a lot of confusion for people um, as it relates to science, but we've been told there's consensus. As you sit as a scientist at Harvard, very respected around the world, working with world-renowned scientists, would you say there's consensus or would you say there's a lack of consensus? Uh, there's not consensus. Most of the infectious disease epidemiologists that I talk to on a personal basis uh, do not believe that lockdowns are a good idea and uh, think that we should do focused protection of primarily protecting the older people. But there has been uh, a lot of uh, silencing, censoring and slander. So a lot of people, a lot of scientists do not dare to speak up uh, and understand that they, that they are afraid. Again, that was Gabe talking with Dr. Martin Kaldorf from Harvard from this past spring's Culture Summit around the topic of what we've learned from the pandemic. We'll continue next week with a couple of more talks. Again, as we quickly wind down this show, remember that the full talks are available on the Q Media platform to subscribers at qideas.org, and you can request a 30-day subscription so you can hear all four talks in their entirety. I'm Paul Perot. Thanks again for listening to this week's Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Have a great week. This show is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.